Andrew, I like you, I like you very much. Now, next thing I do, I make a second part. It's written, then I make it, I send it to you. You can show it to your friends and to Victoria. Ah, yeah, make a body, make a body podcast. Maybe making you come on, we talk a bit. Uh, hello, and welcome to... Uh, why are we talking about rabbits? Yep, rabbits, they reproduce quickly online, boop, 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 pop around, and sometimes we chase them into rabbit holes. This show's trying to do a little like something like The Matrix. Hey, that's the new one's coming out, for what it's worth. And we're going to try to uh, address this deep sense of dislocation. We use history, theology, philosophy, and this uh, old world experience that we do at First Things Foundation, where we get deep into what we think of as old world or sometimes developing world cultures, where we learn a ton of lessons and pass them on to you. Sometimes good lessons, sometimes not so good. This, this is episode 70 a lot. This is what are kids for anyways? First of all, what are kids for? That's that's big topic. So I don't know if we're going to cover it all, but I will say this. One thing that kids are for is something like perspective. And last weekend we had our first ever live event, First Things Foundation fundraiser. And people gave us so much in the way of perspective, mostly what it means to actually wake up, realize that you're running something real, that people are in the field, people care, people donate, people support. And then this other thing happens is, is lives, well, they begin, right, to bear fruit. Both lives of the folks we work with, lives of the people who go, the lives of the people who donate. This was a wonderful weekend. So, in addition to thanking all the people which we did with our email, go check out our email if you don't get it. Uh, sign up. Uh, and you can see our communiques. But in particular, I just want to thank the O'Hara family. And in particular, I want to thank all those people who put hands to our concert. That was a self-delivered, self, I don't know, designed it was a small-time operation that turned out looking kind of big. I also want to thank especially Hilltop for coming down from Chicago and playing music for us. And I want to thank Georgia and Emmett, some New York City masterclass jazz musicians. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But this is a podcast. In this podcast, what we're trying to do is let y'all know about what we're seeing overseas, what I've learned as a historian and as a, de a development aid worker, as an Orthodox Christian, and really just as someone who really rejoices in trying to, I don't know, I don't know, talk about things that, uh, well, I'm a teacher by trade. If you don't like what I'm teaching, put it in the comments, make comments on YouTube. We love that stuff. I try to address them. I don't like to get into, I don't like to get into text battles. Text battles. Don't do a text battle, but really like open-ended, you know, wondering aloud. Who, who doesn't love that? So this is wondering a lot about kids, children. I mean, 
this is a big topic. So it was from an article of interest that somehow got into my digital life in the last 10 days that I began to think about this topic deeply. It was from The Atlantic, the magazine, and it talked about Western attitudes toward kids and the notion of regretting them. It's a decent read, even if it leaves you, I don't know, with a sense of, shall we say, regret. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like really hard to read all about people and cultures that regret having humans who've come from their loins and who like, you know, are little thems presented back to little yous and eyes. Like, the whole kid thing is an incredibly paradoxical and illustrative example of the ineffable. It's so incredibly challenging to try to figure out what a kid is, what a child is for. I love that. You see that? You throw in that utilitarian turn. When you try to figure out what a child is for, uh, any honest investigation of this is just, I don't know, it's going to end in the word mind-blowing or far out or WTF, miracle. It does feel like that if you just sit and meditate on what a kid is and what a kid is for. And I think I'll try to demonstrate that. Yeah. I mean, aren't you your parents? Like, utterly, fundamentally? Yet, aren't you not your parents at all? Like, at all. Aren't both of these things true at the same time? And if they are true, even a little, even a little, little, isn't any discussion about kids just a total mind warp? Isn't it something like incomprehensible? Won't an atomic investigation of your person particles not get the job done? And if I'm right, doesn't this make the notion of regretting the unfathomable a bit, well, (laughs) regrettable? Yeah, I just think it's an awe question. It should all sort of end in awe. But it doesn't in this article from The Atlantic, right? It doesn't get into the God-man, human-divine, crazy far-out concept of a man's seed and a woman's, I don't know, egg creating something fundamentally beyond comprehension. Instead, it reads a little like this. Millions of people regret having kids. And then it gives you data. What a beloved 2021 word. Data. What's a data sound, Andrew? Data. Data. Millions of people regret having kids. And here's the data. Um, Thousands of parents, men and women over 45, were asked in a 2013 Gallup poll. This is all from the article. Quote, how many kids they would have if they could do it over. 
And approximately 7% of those thousands of people said, I would have zero kids. In Germany, 8% of mothers and fathers in a 2016 survey agreed with the statement, right? And 11% rather agreed. Hmm. Looking at 10% there in Germany. In a survey published in June of this year, 8% of British parents said they regret having kids altogether. And in two recent studies, an assistant psychology professor at a university in Poland, SWPS, placed the rate of parental regret in Poland at about 11 to 14%. Men and women regretting all forms of kids equally in that poll. Combined, these figures suggest that many, many millions of people regret having kids. <laughs> That's the article. Right? I dug out another article on the same topic from Psychology Today, and they both attempt to show why so many millions are starting to regret. <clears throat> and there is a trend, according to both articles, and according to many other articles. Go look. Yeah. And that's from people who are willing to admit the regret, because as we know, regretting your own kids comes with a deep, 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 deep vein of shame. But the Atlantic article says it's growing. And then, because they're honest, at least to a degree, they tried to give some reasons. Because it's important to try to figure out why this is happening, and here's what they said. Burnout and perfectionism is probably the biggest reason for regret. In other words, there's something about perfectionism in the parent. Isabel Roscom, the leading scholar in parental burnout. First of all, before I go on, there's a scholarly discipline called parental burnout. What? Yeah, this is at the Université Catholique de Levant in Belgium. She's a clinician who says that, quote, they don't want to be a parent because they are not able to be the perfect parent. Yeah. Perfectionists, she says, are more likely to regret parenting because they can't be perfect. Hmm. So the thing I thought immediately is, is, is she using being a perfectionist the same way someone might be called like tall or blonde. Like is a perfectionist, a type of person, right? In the same way that a person is tall or blonde or short, or I don't know, thick boned. Right. And then I started to think, Maybe being a perfectionist is actually entirely about living in a certain culture. Hmm, we'll get back to that. Access to abortion. That is a second reason that these researchers more or less agree that, uh, well, people regret. In the article, it found that choosing parenthood tends to be a predictor of adapting to it. 
at least not regretting it. Quote, apparently higher rates of regret in Poland compared to Germany track with considerably lower access to abortion in Poland. So regret tracks with lack of access to abortion. UC Riverside, in one of their studies, quote, mothers with a child born as a consequence of abortion denial, which is the term they're using to say a lack of access to abortion, mothers with a child born because they couldn't find an abortion, were more likely to report having difficulty bonding, as well as feeling trapped or resentful compared to mothers who had abortion excess and, I guess, presumably aborted their child. Hmm. Abortion access popped up in both articles. Sacrifice pops up when you do a little interweb study. Psychology Today, they say that the desire to avoid sacrifice is a major reason for regret found again and again in those who said they wouldn't have children again. Quote, the loss of selfish things, including time, money, and education, really gets to me. Unquote. That was one of the participants in the study. Yeah. They quote, one father is describing feeling anxiety because being a father deeply affected my lack of sleep and intimacy. And then another father in a different study says, I could never regret my son, but I definitely miss the freedom and money I had before he was born. I only have a few friends, this person went on to say, hearing how much fun they had at a music festival or even just that they were at the bar gets me to a point of regret. Hmm. Sacrifice or the lack or the desire to not do it. That's very honest. Could you see yourself answering that way on one of these? Here's another thing that they tracked in these articles. COVID. It seems COVID's making things worse. Right? In a soon-to-be-published paper from a team led by someone named Hedwig Van Bockel. I love that name. I want to be called Hedwig. Can we... What's a Hedwig sound, Andrew? Hedwig. I... It feels like one of those animals that apparently burrows into your ear. Is that a Hedwig? What if that? What if you were named after the burrowing insect? The burrowing ear insect. Like, this is the name of my child, Hedwig. The burrowing, uh, the burrowing insect person, child. Wow, that would be a... I think you should have a whole discipline on that. That should be a, a college. Di- you should be able to major in insect-like names. <laughs> Can we do that? Why? Why can't you? I bet you could do that in some universities. I, I think, Andrew, don't you agree with me in Russia? Don't you think? Well, you're an American in Russia. Don't you think you could design a major names that resemble burrowing insects and you could get like a master's degree in that? I'm sure of it. Anyway, Hedwig van Bakel, a behavioral science at Tilburg University in the Netherlands, 
estimates the global prevalence of parental burnout in 2020 at 4.9%, five, let's call it five, five percent, that's up from 2.7% collected uh, data of 219. So over the course of one year of COVID, yeah, burnout doubled. In other words, parental regret doubled lockdowns. Apparently staring at your kid all day long makes you regret that kid, <laughs> which uh, I don't, seems borderline normal. Doesn't it? I, I, I don't want to sound like it. I love my kids, but like a full stare on for a year. Oh, Lord. Laura Van Dernut Lipsky, the founder and director of the Trauma Stewardship Institute, she says that, quote, parents think again and again, I'm not enough. There's something wrong with me. I can't make my kid feel better about COVID. COVID has made parents, she says, quote, question their identity as caregivers. Yikes. COVID. And then... There's this little throwaway line in both studies that kind of comes toward the end, which is some people just, quote, aren't cut out for it, so they regret it. You know, I don't know. Like, I'm rather, I've got a barrel chest. I'm just not cut out for, like, climbing through small spaces. It's like that. My barrel-chested personality doesn't let me crawl through small spaces. I'm bad at small space crawling. Some people just don't have the personality to do it. They call it personality incongruence or natural disdain for progeny as, as reasons. It's a small minority though, guys. It's a small minority that regret having children. And when they do, sometimes the smallest of that minority just doesn't have personality congruence they they cite a woman named mary who said i just don't like kids i'm counting the day until they're all out of my house mary also sounds somewhat normal we're gonna get into all this you're gonna get it we're gonna get let me put it this way i know families in west africa that don't send their kids to school at all like ever and they rarely see them in the course of a day you're left to ask this question, where the hell did the kids go? That's right. We're getting there. Here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that this article in general, written by Gail Cornwall, well, the one in, in The Atlantic, basically what it's trying to say is what she says, quote, some people simply aren't cut out for raising children and their kids suffer. So, woo, the data, the data. Dada. There's a lot here, and we're going to cover it right now in part one by taking a little deeper dive. And then in part two, we're going to flip it around and look at a whole philosophy on kids and rights and why they're necessary from an old world perspective. But before we do any of that, we got to do this commercial for our winter pod course. Cue it, Andrew. Cue the, the cool music. I think I think we should put in music that's, that people know. But anyway, cue it. It's playing. There it is. Starting in the middle of January. In fact, January 15th, to be, sure, to be exact. I believe. 
the middle of January, we will dive into one of the hot topics of our day, critical race theory. But we're going to do it a little differently. That's right. We're going to use our experiences in the field. In fact, we're going to use, use is the wrong word. We're going to invite our friends from Guatemala, Sierra Leone, Mozambique, the Georgian Republic, Appalachia. We're going to just bring on the people we work with. You'll get to meet them. And their friends and other friends. And just try to hear in their own language with some with some cool, I don't know, translations going on. What do they think about race? So we weren't just going to stay in our new world bubble. We're going to go outside, bring in some old world words, and try to figure out together what is this thing called race, what is critical race theory, and what has been race, quote, theory for thousands of years before the Enlightenment. What is it? What was it? And maybe we'll find out what it shall be. Stay tuned for more information on class times, but I can tell you right now we're starting third week of January. And how do you get into this class? You become a recurring donor. That means you give recurringly, once a month, once a year, once a week. We don't care. And we don't care how much. But once you do become a recurring donor, And we all get together Wednesday nights, 7.30. And you know what we do? We learn together. And the first things, tradition, creating relationships, and investigating the big ideas. That's our race pod course coming in the middle of January. Back to the pod. So, again, we're looking at some new world answers to the question of regretting kids. And just really the big question for both of these episodes is what is a kid and why have them? So why are so many millions of new world people, apparently, according to the data, why are they regret having kids? We heard burnout, perfectionism, abortion access, lack thereof, I should say, to abortion access, avoidance of sacrifice, COVID kicking in. And then something called progeny incongruence. So the first thing that struck me about all of this is, well, in doses, it seems kind of normal. Like, it seems like whatever is being reported as a tick up should just be a tick. I, I think it's just a human tick to have some of these reactions. Well, you know, I'm a parent. So... Now, I don't know if I'm typical, but I think most of those things have run through. Is it just because I'm bad? Are all of you just about to turn on? Are you like, that dude is a terrible parent. He had those thoughts. Well, I'm just telling you it's happened. I mean, I get it. It's not easy to have the kind of reactions to kids, right? The kind that I mentioned early in the podcast, you know, the big wonder in the sky, they're they're miracles, they're the most beautiful gifts from heaven, that they're incomprehensible, ineffable. It's not easy to have those kind of thoughts like every day, all the time. It's not easy to stay in a, I, I would say, a state of perfection. But then another thought captured me. So, so what if I have these feelings? Like, so what? So what if I've had these thoughts? So what if I've had the thoughts of a regretting parent? Like the real question seems to be, are these thoughts in alignment with something like reality and health and fulfillment and being? 
Like, I think that's always the question, right? Like, what do I do with these thoughts? Not that I have them, therefore they are right. Yeah. The real question is, is what is alignment? What is reality? And that got to me thinking about the demographics of the study. And well, why it all ties into our Watar podcast. Notice the demographics. You're talking about millions and millions of regretting parents. Oh, sorry. Millions and millions of regretting light people parents. Yeah. Britain, Poland, Germany, Merca. The demographics, man. No offense to light people. Light people here being those people who are children of the Enlightenment. And then you've got children of the Enlightenment who love the Enlightenment. That's a different kind of light person. And then you've got children of the Enlightenment who love the Enlightenment and would stand and fight for it. And then you've got people who are just transhumanist. <laughs> that was, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is the demographics tell you a lot about the study because it's not exactly indicative of, shall we say, the global south or the world of color or the kaleidoscope of culture. The article is describing a type of culture, not necessarily a type of person. But of course, cultures bend and brew people. And so I think we need to dig around and figure out, well, what is it about post-Enlightenment culture that gets us to this point of regret. And then we need to figure out what is it about the old world societies and what they might say that could help us understand why new world people say this about children. So first I queried our team out there on four continents. These are field workers working really like right on the ground, simple settings with very little money living as the folks we aim to serve live, and what did they say, and what do the people around them say about regretting kids? Here's some responses I thought were very interesting. From West Africa, Daniel, Jake, and that team out there report that, well, the key is understanding choice. Choice plays a huge role. Women there do not know themselves as something other than a mother. Womanhood is motherhood, right? For folks in the villages, small towns of Sierra Leone, it's changing in the city. Womanhood is motherhood. Regret can't really happen if there isn't a huge space carved out for choice. I mean, you can't really regret doing something, parenthood, if you didn't really imagine yourself as having a choice to not be a parent. And this goes for fathers too. Society isn't offering a different narrative in traditional West African societies. And in turn, regret isn't a thing. All of our folks in the field there report that there is a real-time shift happening, however, in African culture, right? As they see the old world, this, shall we say, a perspective on choice shifting and giving way to a new form of culture, right? And a lot of it, and this is a report I got in every site, a lot of it is giving way to a new type of nonprofit education or a nonprofit re-education. 
as outsiders, light people come in, set up schools, and then start to educate differently about human anthropology. That was a report. And this shift is being manufactured in a way so that mothers and fathers may perceive a choice as per having babies. Now, who knows? That may be good or bad, but I'm telling you, it's really clear in West Africa. Because see, once there's a perceived choice, there will be space, there will be the ability within the mind to claim regret. The report from the field, as far as I can tell right now, is it seems that in the villages there's very little regret because, well, there's very little choice. The notion of freedom as choice is not prevalent in West Africa. I'll say that again. The notion of freedom as choice. There's other notions of freedom, but the idea that freedom is choice, that's not prevalent in West Africa. And that's another podcast, by the way. So that's that was the consensus when we talked about this in West Africa. In Guatemala, where we have field workers, we see a similar story, though it's different. There's a twist. The emphasis, it seems, in Mayan culture now is regretting children, if at all. It's regretting them because you had them too early in life. You gave birth too early or you were a father too early. Young motherhood is the regret. But the report is motherhood is never the regret, which I do believe a lot of that is in this, this Atlantic study too. And they even said at the beginning of the article, you know, there's, there's only so 11 to 12% of Americans are regretting or light people are regretting having kids. So where people regret, it's often timing. And you see that more in Guatemala than in West Africa. Tom and Shez, two of our field workers there, say, children are never the problem, but young mothers often talk about how they could have been a better mother if they had waited. Yeah, remember, this culture sees 16-year-olds married on the reg, often normal. In East Africa, what about that? Well, Tom talked about when he worked in Uganda that in East Africa, he would see traditions, this wacky tradition where kids from large families, the, the last kids, say the ninth or 10th kid, sometimes they would get a name that represented the sadness or the bad feelings of their parents. He said he could meet kids in East Africa, and we saw this in Mozambique, who are named like Sadness, Sadness Johnson. Well, Johnson wouldn't be the last name, right? Sadness Camera. Refuse, trash, lateness. Yeah, they would call their kid lateness because they were late, right? The regret is in the timing, a similar concept. Not so much in the nature of becoming a father or mother. Yeah, often the gender matters in the old world, big time. Too many girls sometimes leads to regret in places where we work. In general, the old world tends to think of kids as servants of their parents. Or put another way, kids are honor to their parents. Kids are meant to honor their parents. Not the other way around, as I often find in suburban spaces in America. The other way around is like, I must honor the kid. As Aaron, our field worker in Appalachia, told me, mountain folks... They love them to quote some psalms. 
And for him, Psalm 127 is the psalm that he hears when it comes to this, quote, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. I like to hear honor there. A fruit of the womb and a blessing to the parents. Appalachia. So it looks like this. Regret is a thing when it comes to kids, old world and new. But the nature of the grit seems to have subtle differences. And I think that difference is found in how these, so, these societies understand their nature, if you like, their anthropology. New World folks know themselves. And this, of course, is in general. I'm not saying everybody. But New World folks are raised up to think of themselves as autonomous and choice makers. People defined by their choices. And in this way, choosing to have kids can, well, like choosing Rocky Road ice cream instead of, say, a nice pistachio on a hot summer day, the Rocky Road can be regretted. There is a space, right, where there is a choice. There's a space in which to regret when there is a space in which to make choices. We know that as freedom. So the choices I make in that space define who I am. In the old world, there are just There's just less space, and therefore there are fewer individual choices. And in that sense, there's fewer uh, reasons, fewer moments, fewer abilities to regret. Right? It just has to be this way if your culture is doing what these cultures are doing. The locus for knowing yourself is not in the decision you make, but instead in the nature you've inherited in the old world. It's the nature you've inherited that will, by definition, right, point you toward, quote, the choice. You just are to become what you already are. You're not good or bad for having children. You're good or bad because you did not adhere to your nature, your ontological reality. So a man is is a man in part because he is a father. A woman is a woman in part because she is a mother. The nature of manning, of being a man, is indivisible from the nature of fathering. And of course, to be born a woman is to be born a mother. Hmm. Hmm. What does this kind of conclusion mean? Well, In the second part of the podcast, I want to investigate, right? We'll put this out very soon. I want to investigate what this means, right? When it comes to the utility of children. I want to explore old world understandings of childhood. And here's what we get into next time, the rights of the young. Because when you hear the way we think of rights in the old world, not we, but the way it is understood in the old world, I think it'll freak you out a little bit, right? And if in general the old world demands children to honor parents, to serve in honor, what are the demands on parents toward children? Are there any? And that is what we're going to try to figure out next time in part two, because we have to. Otherwise, we're just going to go on and on. And this is the end of part one. Shenis Gagimarjos. That means to you the victory that comes to you from the Georgian Republic. That would be said at a KP table, sometimes called a supra. 
The Supra is, well, it's their national meal of just utter beauty. It brings everyone together, toasting to themes that are universal, yada, yada. We do that at First Things. We're going to do it at our restaurant. Opening in not a very long time. In the first quarter, hopefully by February, we're going to open this sucker up and start bringing people in to learn really what it means to be a Georgian toaster, what it means to have a most relaxing time sitting around and eating delicious food. That's in Greenville. This is Watar, though. This is just a couple things that we do at First Things. What do we really do? We try to serve those most isolated and impoverished. The lower bottom 10%. That's us. And I just hate even saying it like that. It doesn't even make sense. We're just out there learning how to become better people by serving our brothers. Watar is produced by Andrew Schwartz. Daniel Paternos. And our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation. www.first-things.org. Go there. Learn about our work. Learn about what we do, what, how we do it, what we read, what we'd love for you to read. And most of all, join us. Okay? Come back here. Nakfamdis, hasta luego, kambufo. And if I don't see you before the new year, you know, what's the old anxiety? I'm going to sing that next next podcast. It's going to be bad, but I'm going to sing it. Right? I can't remember the tune right now. Peace out to all y'all from Watan. <laughs>